Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by yet another very special guest, two days uh, in a row, joining me, Football.London's very own Kaya Kainak. Mate, how are you? Um, after that, Billy, I'm on top form and yeah, <laughs> following the Arsenal result of the weekend, even even better than very well. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me on. No, the pleasure is all mine, my friend. It's great to have you and looking forward to getting your thoughts on all the latest Arsenal news. Uh, as always, lots of stick for me in the chat for being uh, a few minutes late in the terms of the starting time. Uh, Afsar wants me sacked. You know what, Afsar, you can't sack me from my own podcast, but let's try. See you out. That's it. Uh, Lynn says Harry is finishing his dinner. No, what happened was uh, me and Kaya got chatting as as we always do, and uh, I lost track of the time. So apologies, but we are here now. If you're listening on audio, if you're watching this on playback, you probably don't give a shit because you can just watch it whenever you want. So uh, no bother bother for you guys. Uh, Kaya, you were at the game on Sunday as well. Um, let's start there because it was fantastic. It was brilliant. Everything about it was just so positive. The performance I thought was great. We were dominant for large periods. And I don't know about you, but the more I've sort of reflected on the game and I've watched it back now in full as well, at no point did I ever feel like Arsenal were going to throw that away. At no point did I feel like Chelsea were going to find that equaliser and get themselves back into it, which is a, a testament to how far this team has come. Yeah, yeah. There, there have been a lot of 1-0 wins recently, but I don't remember a 1-0 win as comfortable as that. Even the Zurich game was tense towards the end. The Leeds game was tense towards the end. Chelsea, who were a much stronger opponent than both those sides, like you, I, I never felt any suspicion that Arsenal were going to concede. I just, I always felt confident. Um, I'm sure we'll get into Pierre and Rick Aubameyang in a bit, but him only having eight touches shows how much Arsenal were able to silence them as an attacking force. And I think that was that was a massive part of the game. You, you mentioned the word there, dominant, and that's that's what it was. And I think what's so exciting about the performance is for Arsenal to go away from home against a big six opponent. Historically, even, you know, they've got a decent record against Chelsea specifically, but historically against the big six away from home, they've not done that well. And to, to turn up at Stamford Bridge, 
which, you know, Chelsea aren't in the best of form right now, but they've still got good players. Bamiang, as much as I've been making fun of him, still a good player. Raheem Sterling, good player. £220. Five million pounds, I think they spent in the summer, so it's a, it's a decent squad. And Arsenal didn't let them have a kick basically on their own patch. And the Stamford Bridge crowd was quiet. And I've never been to Stamford Bridge before, but um, I can only assume that away fans are always the loudest section based on that. that yeah, I can tell is. you, I can tell you from years of experience that that was not anything out of the ordinary. Okay, um, okay. it is one of the poorer places, uh, in terms of atmosphere, I have to say. Fair enough. Well, the away fans brought the atmosphere for sure. And Arsenal on the pitch were giving them a lot to cheer. So definitely a fantastic performance. And the kind of performance, I think, that really sends out a message to the rest of the league that Arsenal haven't been in the best of form recently. I mean, they've still been winning almost every single game they've played. But I think because we, we held them such high standards now, they've not been at the levels they were at earlier in the season, but they're still winning games. And then on Sunday, they, they found their top form against a top opponent. And Lots of people say this is a young team. They'll, they'll sort of wilt under the pressure of big occasions. That was a big occasion. Sunday, 12 o'clock kickoff, awful conditions. You and I got absolutely soaked on our way there. Oh. We know it was terrible, terrible conditions. But Arsenal came through. And on a day where historically they've struggled, they thrived. And that's a massive testament to what they're doing right now. You touched on Aubameyang. Got to get your thoughts on, <laughs> on his performance, the video in the lead up to the game, all of that stuff. I don't, I've said this before, I don't feel the way I felt towards, I don't know, Robin Van Persie when he joined Manchester United with the whole Bamiang thing. I'm not at that point, but there was a part of me that came away actually quite satisfied by the way his afternoon went. And uh, and by the way, when you look at the, the difference in the two performances from him and Jesus, for example, it, I was happy that in a way, Mikel Arteta's decision to follow through with that punishment, get him out the door go and look for what he believed to be an upgrade was vindicated, wasn't it? Yeah, vindication is the exact word I was going to use. I think it was quite yeah reaffirming is another one you could say for what Mikel Arteta has chosen to do with that centre-forward position at Arsenal. And like you, I wasn't too upset with all the Aubameyang stuff in, in the build-up. I think the video was probably a bit of a stupid thing to do. And, you know, he probably could have said no when BT asked him to do it. But at the same time, I think BT probably deserved, in my opinion, a bit of criticism for that because asking him to do that they knew exactly what they were doing it was quite a cynical ploy and it didn't really take into account sort of the the impact it might have on the player and the consequences he's had to deal with and obviously booed mercilessly throughout by the Arsenal fans and I, I do think that's a little bit sad because Aubameyang did almost carry Arsenal to an FA Cup and was for two and a half seasons a fantastic player but obviously went off the boil and since then he's his sort of conduct around Arsenal has been ill-advised, I'd say. I think he's someone who doesn't particularly want to have a bad relationship with the Arsenal fans. I mean, he's got a tattoo of his him and his kids in an Arsenal shirt on his arm. So it's not like he has exclusively bad memories with the club. But I do think, like you say, the, the transition from him to Jesus. And yes, I do think Aubameyang actually would have scored the chance that Jesus missed in the first half. You, you think about his predatory instincts. And when it comes to finishing, Aubameyang may had the upper hand now maybe not so much Stephen that he's sort of declining a little bit but I do think that he offers more in the goal scoring department but when you're looking at the all-round game Gabriel Jesus just offers so much more and I think that's a massive part of it and I do think I have a sneaky suspicion this sort of based a little bit on talking to people and a little bit on my own hunches but maybe Mikel Arteta saw an opportunity when Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang came back late from that trip to move on because I, I think he tied himself into a three and a half year contract with Aubameyang and it was clear it wasn't working. And I don't think he ever really found a long-term solution as to how to use him 
obviously at the time the contract was given, Arsenal couldn't really let him go. He was a top scorer, best player, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But from that point onwards, Arteta had a bit of a difficulty dealing with him. He was the captain, but he didn't really fit into the way Arteta clearly wanted Arsenal to play. He wasn't really the ideal left winger, wasn't really the ideal centre forward. And since moving him on, I think around December of, of last year, we've seen clearly what Mikel Arteta wanted Arsenal to be. And they've been this 4-3-3 team with attacking wingers, a centre-forward who drifts into various different positions. Obviously, Jesus is doing that a lot better than Lacazette ever did. And I do think that makes a, a massive difference. And yes, you know, Aubameyang's departure was messy, but I do think Arteta has been proven right on that thing, as he has been most things across his Arsenal career. He's He's got that one right. And it was a big call, but big managers make big calls. And we saw those Elneny comments. It also laid down the law to the rest of the squad that, you know, Arteta's big on culture. Culturally, you can't get away with those kind of things anymore in terms of a lax attitude to professionalism, which maybe at times Aubameyang had. So it's it's a big deal for Arteta. And I think he's now got a team that's much more in his image. A player like Gabriel Zeus is a striker much more in his image. And I do think Arsenal are benefiting from that. Yeah, totally agree. And, and I've I've said this recently, actually, as well, with the Aubameyang thing. I don't think that, you know, as, as you say, I, I think Mikel Arteta saw an opportunity to move on from him um, probably wanted to move on from him anyway, given the way the team had evolved. And I'm not saying, you know, fabricated a load of, you know, issues in order to push him out the door um, just to kind of save face on the fact that the club had just given him that contract. But there was obviously an element of, you know, if Aubameyang was playing well and contributing in the way that Arteta wanted to, perhaps he'd have got more leeway in the kind of, way that he was punished and, and the way that that all unfolded in the end. But yeah, interesting stuff. And, and as you said, really good and really satisfying actually to, to see that decision vindicated. Let's um, flip our attention to the Carabao Cup game coming up against uh, Brighton, uh, which is tomorrow night. Um, we were just talking off air, no press conference today. Mikel Arteta spoke to the club media, no team news, nothing really that we can kind of used to help and aid our predictions and, and aid how we, um, you know, see this one going in terms of our views. But how how would you approach this one if you were Mikel Arteta? Because it's the penultimate game before the World Cup. Is there a part of you that thinks, screw it, there's only a, few, a couple of games left, let's go full throttle, let's try and get through, let's make sure there is no room for error? Or would you still be cautious going into the game against Wolves at the weekend? Because I'm seeing on social media especially, quite a bit of mixed opinion on that my opinion is rotate massively rotate all 11 players if you can to hell with the carabao cup it's it's not important i'm sorry last season it was massive because there was no european games and that meant that you know, it was the only opportunity for the i guess the the reserve players to play and arsenal got to the semi-finals it was quite a good run and then eventually they ran out of steam against liverpool but this year they'll be in europe in the second half of the season so that's a lot of games they will be in the FA Cup. You assume, you know, in, in terms of the tiering of English competitions, Carabao's at the bottom and FA Cup's just above it. So maybe they'll take that a bit more seriously. But honestly, if Arsenal go out of the Carabao Cup tomorrow, I wouldn't be too upset. I personally wouldn't mind seeing a few youngsters involved. I'd love to see, you know, Marquinhos get another chance, maybe. I don't know if he will. I, I, this is what I'd like to see. This is not what I think Arteta will do. And maybe we'll bring up the quotes in a bit of what he said in terms of his team selection. But... I do think that he is probably going to go for a strong team. If you look at those Europa League games where 
Arsenal's B team probably could have won all of them. They still played strong teams. Saka played a lot of the games. Jesus played a lot of the games. Martinelli played a lot of the games. Xhaka played. Odegaard played. All these guys you wouldn't expect to play in the second-tier competitions were playing in those those games. And I, I do think if it were up to me, I'd make 11 changes and save the team for Wolves because I do think going into the, the, the World Cup break, top of the Premier League, is massive. And going into it second is just puts a bit of a dampener on what they've done so far this season. By the way, second is way better than any of us thought. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> at this stage, going into it second would be, I think, a little bit of a disappointment. So as far as I'm concerned, staying top of the league, going into the World Cup is really important, not just for, obviously, the the effect that has on the league table, but the psychology around the club, the mood around the club, and the, the message that sends out to the, the rest of the world. And also for attracting players in January, if you want to lay yeah. down the groundwork, for transfers, obviously, there's a massive break now. Arsenal, you would assume Mikel Tessa and Eddie will be out there trying to recruit players in January. All the noises from the club are that they're going to try and strengthen in that window. So I would think that, you know, being the team that's top of the Premier League, obviously, you have a lot more pulling power than the team who's second. So that's definitely something to consider. So I, I personally don't don't really care too much about the Carabao Cup. Obviously, you don't want to see Arsenal lose. And it's the last game of the Emirates before the World Cup break. And it'd be nice to send them off on a high. But Listen, if, if they if they go out, they go out. I, I'd rather them focus on the Premier League, to be honest. Are you, are you at the game tomorrow? I am, yes. It's nuts that we'll probably be saying like Merry Christmas to each other when we leave. <laughs> it's just crazy, isn't it, when you think about that? Yeah. Um, you touched on the comments that Mikel Arteta made, and, and I'll just quickly read those out. He was asked if he'll go for a strong team or a younger one. He said, we're going to pick a very competitive team. I think everyone deserves chances and we'll make some changes with judgment in relation to the load of the players, but we'll play to win. Uh, he was also asked about how important the players that are kind of in and around the squad, but not necessarily playing as frequently as they'd like would be. And he said, um, yeah, we call it co-opetition. Uh, it's compete, but cooperate. You need to understand on the day what your role is. But in training, everybody has the same role, which is to be at their best and make the most out of that session. To be fair, it's a joy of a group to work with because they're really at it every day. So just kind of, again, reinforcing that cultural point that is obviously so important uh, to Mikel Arteta. I was thinking about this today. What would I do? Um, I think if I were Mikel Arteta, I'd look for a similar balance to what we've seen in the Europa League, where there's just a few players in there that you would regard as first choice. I think that's the right way, in my opinion anyway, to approach this game, just because I think he places a lot of emphasis and importance on, on momentum. And I think that's partly why you've seen what you've seen in the Europa League. I know we had to go to the final game to win the group. And obviously, you know, he couldn't mess around too much because he really wanted that because now, you know, we're not in a draw. We haven't landed Barcelona or anything like that um, in a knockout round, which is great. But I just think that he will think that momentum is key. And you talk about the mood around the club, which I, I think is really important as well. I think he'll just look at it and go, if I can find a similar balance to what we found in the in the Europa League games in terms of that little mix, I think um, I think that's probably what he'll try and do. That's my prediction. I probably would do something more like what you're suggesting. I just don't know that we've got enough players in the squad to be able to do that and take on a Premier League team, if that makes sense. A Premier League team that have actually done quite well this season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Brighton will probably make changes as well. I mean, Deserby mm. seemed to indicate in his pre-match press conference that they're, they're going to go relatively strong, but they'll yeah. make some changes. 
and obviously presents a chance for Arsenal to to take advantage of that. But I I, I don't like like you say. I think one of Gabriel or William Saliba will have to play. Uh, one of the front three realistically will probably play. I don't think he'll start a front three of Nelson and Ketia and Marquinhos. I just don't think he trusts them enough, and I think that's too young as far as he's concerned. So one of Jesus, Martinelli or Saka will probably play. But um, beyond that, Cedric might come in for his first start because I don't think Tommy Asu is going to make it. I think he'll be fit in time for the World Cup, by the way. Yeah. But um, I don't think he's going to be back before um, before Arsenal finish their league campaign. So I, I don't think he's going to be around. So Cedric will probably start. I'd guess Tierney will start. Turner will come in in goal. And then I'd assume three changes in midfield. El Nenny, Lacongra and Vieira would, would be my guess. So maybe eight, nine changes if, if I had to guess. But... I think that's probably about as strong as Arsenal will go. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, yeah, a lot of people saying in the chat that it isn't on anywhere. Um, normally, you can find these games on a foreign satellite or something like that. Um, I know I've sort of tapped into that quite a bit over the years to make sure that I don't miss a game. Uh, but yeah, uh, as some of you are saying, I've, I've searched high and low and I can't seem to find a channel that's broadcasting the game. You Go can on. follow it on the Football London live blog if you I want. Was, if you're if you're a fan of uh, there you go. If you're a fan <laughs> of text updates, then I'm your man for tomorrow night. I'll be there, so I'll be able to provide you with that. Unfortunately, I won't be doing. I think it was Wimbledon last year, wasn't it, where there was some guy in the stadium just filming it on his phone. I won't yeah. be going. I won't be going that far, but I'll I'll do my best to try and bring you as much coverage and updates as I can. Yeah, make sure you're reading the Football London live blog, and if you want to listen to it at the same time, if you want updates. Tune into BBC Radio London as well. I'll be doing updates uh, along with Aaron Paul as well. So that should be uh, a good laugh. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Um, let's uh, just quickly take this super chat from Haddy before uh, we move on. Who says, did you see Lewis Skelly's performance? Um, I saw some clips of it and some highlights. I mean, I don't know if you know any more about him, Kaya. Yeah, well, my colleague at Football London, Bailey Keogh has been doing quite a lot of good work with the under-21s. I'd recommend you all give him a follow if you get the chance. And he's been talking to me about um, Miles Lewis-Skelly for a while now. And I think he's only 16, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, midfielder, very promising young talent, already playing with the 21s. And I think playing some a lot against the 18s with Jack Wilshire has been with the 21s on a few occasions this season. And possibly someone who could be involved tomorrow. You, you never know. I wonder if maybe Mikel Arteta will include a few youngsters on the bench. I don't think... I wonder if Ethan Winery is going to be fit because he came off injured during their, the 18s game this weekend. It'd be nice mm. to see him. Uh, someone like Arua Walters, who's involved in preseason, Lino Souza, those kind of guys. It'd be good to see them. Um, you know, if Arsenal get a, there's five subs, so it'd be good to see them if Arsenal get a decent uh, result. If they're able to change things, if they're maybe one, two, nil up in the, uh, sorry, two, three, nil up in the second half, it'd be nice to see some of the youngsters. And yeah, Lewis Skelly could could definitely be one of those. Absolutely, Hadi. Thank you so much for your question. And of course, uh, for your very kind donation to the channel. Uh, Matt says, I was once really mad at Kaya because he once gave Tommy a six out of 10 in a player ratings. And I thought he should have at least been given a seven. Sorry for being mad at you, Kaya. I mean, Matt, let, let's be honest, right? If he had given him a four and we <laughs> thought it was a seven, I can understand you being mad. I think the threshold for being mad is probably two marks, maybe three difference, but just one. I That's think, all right. I think it's harsh. That's the kindest criticism I've had of my my player ratings at all on, on on any of these social media things. So Matt, you're you're very much forgiven, and uh, I'm sorry I, I let you down. I'll try and do a more accurate job in the future. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, let's quickly touch on some of the international call-ups, Kaya, because um, yesterday morning there was a report going around 
uh, a leaked Brazil squad, which didn't include Gabriel Martinelli in it. It only included Gabriel Jesus um, in terms of Arsenal players. And on the midday podcast that we did yesterday, we talked about it. And I, I did say that it was just a report and that the full squad hadn't been confirmed just yet. But I spent a bit of time talking about the pros and cons of Martinelli going and um, and trying to kind of work out what it would mean for him. And I guess my conclusion was, although I'd quite like our players to be rested where possible, mentally, it probably would have had an effect on him. It probably would have had a bit of an impact. So in the end, when I saw he was in it, I was delighted. Um, and I kind of changed my opinion because initially... I'm like, yeah, he's going to struggle. He's going to suffer sort of mentally off the back of this because he's played so well. But from a purely selfish Arsenal point of view, it's not the worst thing in the world. But now that he's in, I'm delighted. What what have you made of his call-up? I think we all expected Jesus to be in despite some of the talk lately. But Martinelli was the one who was very much in the balance for me. Didn't think Gabriel would go. Thought Martinelli could. And he is. And, and what does that mean for him and, and how significant is it? Yeah, I agree with you, actually. I think it's a really, I think it's a positive for Marcelli. I don't think he'll really play much um, in Qatar. I think he's sort of the Theo Walcott England 2006 equivalent for Brazil in the sense that he's not going to play much, but he'll be there and he'll be sort of around. It'll be a good experience for him going forward. That Brazilian front line is absolutely stacked with ridiculous talent. I mean, he's got to get ahead of Rafinha, Rodrigo, Richarlison, uh, Vinicius Jr. And that's before I even mentioned Neymar. So, you know, that's a, a very talented front line. And to even be included in that is a testament to how good a player Gabriel Martinelli is. And if you think um, towards the end of the last World Cup, he was playing Brazilian fourth division football. That's that's quite the quite the journey in the space of such a short period of time. And if you think on an even more micro level, this time last year, he wasn't even in the Arsenal team. And he's got himself within a year into the World Cup squad in Brazil. So fantastic testament to what he's done. And I agree with you. I think... For him, one of his big dreams in football was to play at a World Cup. He's, he stated that, playing the World Cup, playing the Champions League. I think by his parents' a house was his three big dreams that he's, he's outlined. So I think, you know, I don't know what his, his sort of uh, property buying situation is, uh, but I assume he would have... I'm sure he can afford one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping he'd be able to buy one. If not, then even with these interest that rates. contract quick. Yeah, yeah even with these yeah. interest rates, I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing okay, exactly. But... You know, that's at least one of those three three dreams ticked off. And I do think it would probably would have been worse for him to to stick around. I think it's good for him to go away and live his dream and hopefully, you know, play a couple of minutes. I don't think he'll play much, as I said, but he seems like a guy who is very much heart on his sleeve and, you know, very emotional, but in a good way, not in a bad way. But I do think it would have had a, a massive psychological impact on him to to not go. And I think it's it's I think it's good for him to go, and the fact that he probably won't play as well means that he's unlikely to get injured. So hopefully he'll come back fully uh, refreshed and ready to go. Absolutely, fingers crossed. Um, Gabriel, centre back. How do you feel about that? Because I didn't think he would go. To be honest with you, when I sort of was listening to some of the noises that were coming out and and some of the opinions of sort of some Brazilian-based journalists recently, you always got the impression that he, he might not go and probably wouldn't go. But I looked at the rest of their centre-back list and, and Bremer was one that really stood out for me. I'm a big Serie A fan. I watch a lot of Italian football. Was good last season in a, in a Torino side that wasn't very good. He was the shining light. A lot of people at the time were saying, this is the best defender in Italy. And he moved to Juve and along with Juve as a collective being poor, I think he's been quite average. And I'm, 
that's the one that I look at and I go, well, Gabriel is better than you. So how have you not got in there? But I mean, what's your take on it? Does he deserve to go? I think he's been so good with the exception of just a couple of sloppy moments here and there. Yeah, I think Gabriel's been fantastic this season. I think tying him down to a new contract is one of the smartest pieces of business Arsenal have done. And as much as people talk about William Saliba as sort of the icy, cool, smooth, serene centre-back, you need a bit of fire next to him. You need a bit of sort of, you need someone, if it's going to turn into a bit of a brawl, you need someone who's going to be able to, to stand up to it. And Gabriel is certainly that. He's a little bit more rash, which, you know, I think means that we're all more aware of his errors because they're a lot more visible just in the way he is as a personality. He's a lot more... Uh, demonstrative, whereas Saliba is a lot more sort of reserved, and I wonder if maybe that's counted against him a little bit. I, I don't know Bremer as, as well as you do, so I trust your opinion on him. I, I I wonder if it's maybe a similar sort of Harry Maguire England kind of to make an equivalence that I feel I know a bit more about in the sense that everyone's sort of questioning how he's getting in the squad, but I don't think Gabriel has uh, played for Brazil, so I think maybe that's counted against him in the sense that. He was, I think, in the, the squad. The, he was in the Olympic squad last summer or maybe a couple of summers ago and then got an injury, which meant he had to withdraw. And he's not really been in the squad much since. He's been in the squad a couple of times, but not played. So it probably would have been a bit of a risk to take a player who's never played for the national team to a World Cup. I'm assuming that's what Tite's thinking was. And maybe that's why Bremer's got the nod ahead of him. But I think if it's on form, then almost certainly Gabriel has to be looking at getting in. But if you look at the, the players, again, the strength and depth Brazil have, Ed Militao at Real Madrid, Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, like those are three really good centre-backs. And I, I have no doubt that Gabriel will go on to become a, a regular player for Brazil, especially if he keeps up this form he's been showing with Arsenal. And, you know, it's devastating for him, but uh, maybe a good thing for Arsenal in the sense that he could he can have a bit of a rest and sit it out. And yeah, we'll see. We've got to talk Gabby Jesus because there's been all sorts of, uh, said about him in the last few weeks. Obviously, he's struggling to find the back of the net at the moment, but he's offering so so much. There was a uh, there was a, a a graphic that went around earlier today from Live Score. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, big chances missed the most in Europe's top five leagues, and and Gabi Jesus sat at the top of that list with 11 uh, big chances. But when you look at that list, it includes Karen Benzema, Sadio Mane. Uh, Tammy Abraham, Robert Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe, just to name a few. And I mean, I sort of responded to this online by saying this list is is the perfect example of why statistics should be used to support opinions, but shouldn't always be the basis of them. Because, yes, he's missed some chances, but he's completely transformed Arsenal's attack. So first up, what do you make of the criticism that he's received in recent weeks? Because for me, I almost feel disloyal. And, and and sort of as if I'm kind of cheating on him a little bit if I sit in the public domain and, and complain about that because of how much else he's done for us. Yeah, I think it's totally reductive to just look at the goal side of what Gary Jesus brings. As you say, he's completely revolutionised the Arsenal attack and Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka are nowhere near as good as they have been this season if it's Alex Lacazette up front instead of Gabriel Jesus. That's just a fact. And the way he's occupying defenders, the way he's pressing them, the way he's creating chances as well as, you know, missing a few, but he's creating for his his teammates. If you look at his intensity, the way he plays, you don't get any goal statistics for the way he won the corner that Bukayo Saka, you know, assisted Gabriel for against Chelsea. But there are very few strikers in world football who press with that level of intensity and intelligence as well. He's not just someone who runs around like a maniac. He knows what he's doing when he's trying to close these defenders down. It's very clever. 
And there's not many players who can do that as well as he can. I think Guardiola described him as the best defensive forward in the world. And mm. Arsenal want to be a team that plays high up the pitch. They want to be a team that attacks the opposition and spends as much time as possible in the, the opposition half. And if you haven't got a striker like Gabriel Jesus, you can't do that. It's as simple as that. So it's a massive, massive thing to have a player like him. And yes, he does need to score more goals. You can't pretend that he doesn't. And if you're going to be a centre-forward for a team like Arsenal, you do need to be scoring goals. And it's a little bit of a concern that he's not um, netting as much as he should be, maybe. His XG is something that he's, I think, generally underperformed throughout his career. But he's not your stereotypical... I think he said this himself. He's not a stereotypical Erling Haaland-type finisher who will snatch on every half-chance he gets. And there's not many players in, in the world who can do that. But what he does everywhere else on the pitch, what he does for the whole Arsenal team is massive. And that's before I even mentioned the leadership side of things and um, sort of the the captaincy. He's, you know, he was captain against Zurich. He's already third, third choice captain. That's a massive thing. Big influence on this young dressing room. And I think if Arsenal go on to do something this season, it will be because of Gabriel Jesus, not in spite of Gabriel Jesus. So who really cares about his goal record when he's offering as much as he is to the team? Obviously, he needs to score more, but not a massive concern when he's doing what else he's doing. You said it's a little bit of a concern, and I agree with you, because the longer this goes on, the more of an issue it becomes, the more coverage it gets, and the more it probably plays on the player's mind himself. But he'd have been through periods like this before, wouldn't he? He, he will know to kind of just trust in what he's doing. And I mean, is it something that is just a bit of a shortcoming when it comes to Jesus in terms of when you look at all his strengths, is finishing just something that he just isn't quite at the level that maybe he could be when it comes to that? Or or is this just literally a guy who's giving everything, just going through a little bit of a rough patch in terms of bad luck? Possibly a bit of both. If you look at the Zurich game, that chance he missed where it comes off the goalkeeper's backside, like nine times out of 10, you score that. That's a really fortunate save. I don't think the goalkeeper intends to do that. And if he smashes that in, who knows, maybe he goes and scores the chance against Chelsea and then we're not having this conversation at all. Um, I do think it's it's a little bit of a concern. I do wonder if maybe the whole Brazil squad thing was weighing on his mind a little bit. He in particular has a very uh, curious relationship with the Brazil team in the sense that he was the number nine in Russia and didn't score for them in Russia when Brazil went out in the quarterfinals and was sort of destroyed in the Brazilian press. Absolutely, you know, mercilessly. Um, because they are very cruel out there to players who don't perform in World Cups. And I think he maybe fell out of love with playing the centre-forward position for a little while, was was playing on the wings at Man City and didn't get in the Brazil squad. And I do wonder if maybe the intensity, the extra pressure that he's putting on himself was to do with that. And maybe if now that he's in the squad, he can sort of relax a little bit and maybe have a little bit more composure in front of goal. And you look at the start of the season when he was just free-flowing and his first Premier League goal against Leicester, I think, is the prime example of a player who, when they're confident in front of goal, what they can do. So now, hopefully, I think he can sort of calm down a little bit more and in front of goal, have that confidence back and hopefully start taking chances because he's getting them and he's creating them as well for himself. So I think it's a matter of time. We, we spoke to him actually in Eindhoven ahead of the PSV game and sort of asked him a similar question, um, sort of, uh, is this affecting you? Do you worry about it? And he mentioned what you said there about he's had patches like this in his career where he's not scored and he just keeps on doing what he's doing and make sure he's doing everything else for the team. And he said, no matter what, I'm 100% sure that I will score in the next game. And that is the elite mentality that he needs. And I think that's the mentality that's rubbing off on the rest of the Arsenal team. And 
I think that's why he's such a good addition to this squad. That said, would you consider putting him in the starting eleven tomorrow with a view to finding sort of his goal scoring form again? No. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't play I personally wouldn't play Gabriel Jesus in any of the Europa League games. Um I get why it was done, but I, I, I wouldn't have done it. I think Eddie and Ket is a, a really good backup and play him. He's there for a reason. I don't think if, if Gabriel Jesus gets a long term injury, then Arsenal are in big, big trouble. So no, I wouldn't risk him at all. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. Uh, for Lildadel Guna, Craig in the chat says, uh, two of my favourites, hope you guys are well. Question, where are we at in the table? Everybody knows the answer, baby, we're top uh, of the pile. He also says uh, that he's also just become uh, the official Fort Lauderdale chapter for Arsenal America. Brilliant. Congratulations. Um, I see you've been building that up for a while. Craig has been sending me some... Uh, little videos and sort of pictures of the guys gathering uh, to watch the games. I don't know so, how you're yeah. going to watch it tomorrow because it is, yeah, it's, it's not on anywhere. I don't know what people are going to do. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's going to be, it's, I mean, it's, I, everyone's going to be crowded around their radios. It's going to be like an old school, old school kind of game listening yeah. to your updates. So I think that's what they're going to be doing. Yeah, yeah Craig as well, by the way. I, I, met, I met him in America and uh, haven't had a chance to say hello. So, hey, Craig, hope you're, hope you're doing well. Amazing stuff. Craig um, had that, what's it called? Was it the cutout of Martinelli? Was it Martinelli? Remind me, Craig. Remind us oh, in the chat. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that, I think that was Craig. Um, yeah, I think the, the picture. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Brilliant stuff. Uh, let's just take a couple more questions uh, and then we're going to love you and leave you. We will be back tomorrow um, with some instant reaction from Emirates Stadium and then the full podcast will be with you on Thursday morning. Uh, because when I'm working the game, I don't know what time I'm going to get home. So I don't want to promise a show and then not do it and then get all the angry messages uh, on Instagram like I tend to get. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll just promise the podcast on Thursday morning instead. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Lynn says, with Jesus's form in front of goal, had it been with another club, would it be a bigger concern? But because Arteta knows him well, he will know how to support him, which is an advantage. Do you think that the fact that they already have an existing relationship and, and there's already a trust between them means that Mikel Arteta's better position maybe to guide his player through this than maybe he would be with someone whose character he doesn't know inside out? Possible. I also think he's Jesus is benefiting in terms of the way he's playing, the way he's applying himself around the dressing room from being... From, pardon me, from having that trust from his manager and he knows he's going to start every week no matter how he plays. Whereas I think at Man City, obviously, with their embarrassment of riches, you can never be sure that you're going to start the next game. So he is, uh, I think, really benefiting from that. But having said that, I, I do think he could he could maybe do with a little bit of help in terms of in front of goal. And I, I do think Arsenal are maybe a, a forward short and that's definitely something to look at in the January window. I think they want to add a, a bit more firepower, Mikel Arteta has said a few times now. So... I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see someone uh, come in in that position. Yep, for sure. Um, Kaya, let's uh, wrap up with a prediction for tomorrow's game. It's it's really difficult to predict these games. I found it tough to do it with the Europa games this season as well because you don't know what team's going to play. You don't know what your opposition are going to do as well, um, which can be uh, quite tough. Um, so let's have a prediction for you for the Brighton game with all that in mind. <laughs> Uh, I hate predictions. I just think they're they're so hard. Uh, Nav, I've just seen Navar in the comment section said two one. So I'm going to shamelessly steal that prediction. I'm going to say <laughs> two one to Arsenal. I, I do think that's a, a good prediction. So I'm going to I'm going to take it. 
brilliant stuff. I've got to raise this comment just before we go uh, from Mohammed because he says, um, hi, Harry and Kaya. Why do most journalists ask repetitive, sometimes silly questions to Mikel Impressors? We want direct, uh, strong and important questions. So I've had this conversation a few times with people, right? Because, uh, and and Kaya, your, your impress conference is much more than me. You're more involved in them than I am. Um, you know, I, I asked Mikel a question after the Zurich game and a few people saw it on the, the YouTube video and were like, oh my God, you've asked him a question. Like that shows you how rarely I actually speak to Mikel Arteta. But what do you say to people that, that ask this? Because there is a, a, a fine line. There is a difficult balance to find as a journalist because you want to maintain that relationship. You want to be someone that the club trusts, that the club would be happy to pass information onto at some point that the club are happy to welcome into the picture. But at the same time, you've got fans that have pressing concerns and pressing issues and things that they want to know about. So how do you personally find that balance between, you know, maintaining that relationship, not pushing the line, but also being a good journalist, basically? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough, tough line to, to tread. And there's a, a real hierarchy in terms of the questions in press conferences, particularly in, in pre-match press conferences, where the broadcasters and the right holders will, you know, get their lion's share of the questions and, you know, they pay for it. So kind of fair enough. But um, that means you, you most realistically get one or two questions kind of max as a, a website writer. And then the papers will get their own section at the end of it. And they'll get to ask a few more questions and sort of dig into stuff with a bit more depth. So uh, I think... You, you also want to ask a question with Mikel Arteta that he's going to give an answer to. He's can be very sort of deflective with the media. And I think yeah. if you just come out and say, let's say after a loss, you just say, why were you rubbish today? He's not going to, he's not going to give you an answer. He's not going to give you a good answer. And you want to try and elicit as much good content from him that is, you know, services fans in a way that they can actually understand the team better. And my, the way I view myself in terms of asking these questions is to try and, I think as a fan as well, I have sort of a, a perspective where I feel like I can ask questions that I think fans would want to know. And I think, you know, sometimes you do have to ask difficult questions. And I, I think, you know, no one should be afraid of that. And I think, you know, that's a really important part of being a journalist is asking questions that maybe Arteta wouldn't want to, to have to deal with. And maybe, you know, certain people wouldn't ask him. But at the same time, you don't want to just be there to create mischief. And I think there's a there's a line between it. Some various different journalists have their, their own different styles, though. Everyone has their own style. And I think, you know, I, I do think it's, it's risky to generalise about journalists because I think every single one has their own way of asking questions. And I think that's what makes press conferences so interesting because you can get the same questions, which, you know, uh, Mohammed, you said his name was, I think, you know, is suggesting that you can ask the same question in multiple different ways and get multiple different answers. And I think that's kind of why press conferences are are good because you know you don't always let the manager off the hook and I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean I, I think for example there's you know you, you talk about different types of journalists. You've got and I don't want to I don't mean this in a negative way, but you've got the old school newspaper journalists that have been doing this for, for how long, have their own ways, have their own style. And then you've got people around our age. I know I'm older than you, but I'm not too much older than you. <laughs> um you know that have kind of grown up in the, the social media age in terms of with our careers and and we just do things and look at things a little bit differently. And um, so there are those differences, I think as well, but yeah, go on. And also, no, I was going to say different, different writers have different audiences. So you'd be asking if you wanted to ask, you know, you might be considering your YouTube channel, you might be considering the 
radio BBC Radio London audience what they want to hear. I'd be considering um, what Football London want to hear. Uh, let's say Art de Rocher asked from the Athletic. Maybe the Athletic want to do more in-depth tactical pieces, so they'll ask yeah. a more in-depth tactical question. Whereas newspapers don't really care about the tactical side of things because they've just got column inches to fill, and that's totally fine either way. So you get different questions from different people, and very everyone has their own sort of angle going into a press conference. I, I personally find them always really interesting to listen to. Absolutely. And and the key point that you made, in my opinion, is that, you know, Mikel Arteta would just not give an answer if he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been in a lot of his press conferences and, and I found him, I like him. I like the way he speaks, but it's clear that if he doesn't really fancy answering something, he will dance around it. There was a question, wasn't there, after the Zurich game um, where he was asked uh, something about Aubameyang. I think it was Charles Watts that asked the question. And Mikel just smiled and said, no comment. And that was that. And so you you try to to extract something that, you know, could make a good piece and, and a good headline. And if he's not interested, he just shuts it down. And that's the <laughs> challenge that people maybe don't realise unless they're in there having to try and put those questions and, and package them up in a way where, A, they're going to get what they want, but B, they're going to actually get an answer as well. So I think that's a really key point. Um, Kaya, thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate you joining me as always. Um, looking forward to catching up again as well at the game uh, tomorrow. Just let people know how they can follow you, where they can find all your work, because it is great work. And if they're not following you, what the hell are they doing to get involved? <laughs> Very kind of you. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on. Thank you, everyone, for all your questions. Thank you, everyone, uh, for for watching, listening, etc. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KayaKarnet97. I'm also on Facebook, KayaKarnet Journalist, and all my articles and all that kind of stuff is on the London website. So have a look for me there. Brilliant stuff. Make sure you check him out. And Craig, uh, with a final message, says, I don't recognise Kaya without a cup of coffee in front of his face. Uh, so if you haven't seen Kaya's it's hot tweet, chocolate, it's hot chocolate. Hot chocolate. Actually, I'm not a massive coffee guy. It's the hot chocolate is the, uh, the tradition, but yeah. Coffee is one of them things that very few people like, but they feel that they need to drink it to mm. kind of fit in. I, I've, I, I'm a bit like that. Yeah, I, no, I, I think I, I don't want to take the entirety of the credit for Arsenal's good form this season. But you know, every game I've drunk a hot chocolate before, they've won. So you know, I, you know, make of that what you will. What's the What's the hot chocolate like at Emirates? Any good? Um, listen, it's not a quality thing. It's a, it's a, it's nice a cross the around the question. So yeah, I've done a Michael Arteta. I've danced around the question. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, thank you for tuning in everybody. Really, really appreciate uh, your support as always. Make sure you like the video. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're new, uh, we're on the road now towards 25,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel and, of course, uh, to all our audio listeners who have got us back uh, climbing up the podcast charts again uh, this week. So thank you all so, so much for all your support. So if you're listening on audio, leave us a review. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. You know the drill by now. And we'll be back tomorrow with some reaction to Arsenal versus Brighton. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a good evening. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 